Hello again. We're back with part two of our discussion on 500 Days of Summer, in which we were joined by the wonderful Loretta. In this episode, we will be talking about the male gaze and what it means and represents, the rom-coms teaches how relationships should be structured, and why are these characters acting like teenagers when they're meant to be almost 30? <laughs> again, apologies for the sound quality. Um, we had some issues, but this will be improved in future episodes. We are now using different software. Um, we're also asking people to please rate and review us on iTunes, as always, to help boost the podcast. Um, we will be reading out five-star reviews on the show. We hope you enjoy the episode and our recommendations at the end, as always. Right? Yeah, thanks, and enjoy the episode. Bye! With all of that, do we want to talk about the gays, maybe? Since we're already talking about, like... Yeah, so we've kind of already picked up on this a little bit, and you mentioned how the gaze is kind of not just about like looking, but kind of who's behind the camera as well. Like if we're talking about filmmaking, it's sort of like who's in the position of power in terms of like who um, is like directing, who is like financing a film, who is writing a film, um, and so it's sort of like you kind of got the gaze of like the cam, the camera's gaze, but also like who is behind the camera and like the wider power structures behind that camera. Am I getting that right? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the gaze isn't just uh, because. I get that the idea of like someone behind a camera makes sense, but even if you think of that person, that's the camera person. Again, mostly camera men, but like mm. that person doesn't call the shots, the director does. You know, it's sort of like, um, who gets to make decisions about what we literally, what we see in a movie and what we don't. Yeah. I was watching um, a bit of Spectre, like the James Bond film Spectre last night with my parents. It's just, it was so funny because it's just like hits every single beat and it's like suddenly like, He's like snogging this woman against a mirror and there's like no chemistry. And then she, she doesn't buy it. I thought she died instantly, but she didn't actually. But like, she's just like kind of taking her dress off and you're like, okay, sure. And then he it like cuts to him like talking to like money penny and she's in some lingerie and he's just like in a suit and you're like, what is happening? <laughs> but, and then they have a car chase. But yeah, no, sorry. I was just like thinking about that. Um, and kind of like. Very um, male gazy. Definitely. <laughs> Kind of watching the film, I was sort of thinking about sort of like how Summer sort of like, because she's always presented as like, you know, she has a very fresh face and she's always like wearing makeup and she always like looks very attractive. Whereas like Tom is kind of a bit more sort of like rugged looking and like you can kind of see the bags under his eyes. And his like room is so grotty as well. Like it looks just so like grim. Like he's just like, it's kind of like a really nice apartment, but it's also like, I don't know, his bed doesn't look very made and it's just like kind of not the nicest place in the world. Like compared to her apartment where it's sort of like all blue and like kind of like fresh and nice. Um, and she's sort of like always, she's always sort of like kind of like above par and like puts off together and is sort of like wearing these beautiful things. Whereas he's obviously allowed to just look a bit scruffy and sort of a bit crappy all the time. I wonder how much that again is sort of like an unreliable narrator thing because in the scene where mm -hmm. they break up, it's like the one moment where she wears a turtleneck and she seems to be sort of less cutesy dressed. I feel like that was yeah. the one scene. There's so much like bounciness. There's like bows in her hair. There's a moment where she has butterfly clips in her hair. And again, this is a movie about people in their late 20s. Like, they were 28, 29, 30 when they shot this. Not that you should dress a specific way because of your age, but it is like the idea of like bow bows in hair and like, like she has a lot of like shoulder, like not really like uh, tight clothing around the shoulder. It's very sort of cutesy girly in a way. Even when she wears pants, she wears like some sort of like pattern shirt and yeah, I did think it was interesting that the one scene where you see her sort of like not being as cutesy is in the breakup scene. Do you mean the which one's the breakup scene? Is that the in the diner when they're eating pancakes? Yeah. That one. Yeah. yeah. 
That was the one woman where she wore like a turtleneck, and I was like, I think that's the one time you just heard her like her neck and stuff covered. Not that she never does that before, mm. but it's like because again we see it through like uh, Tom's perspective so much. I wonder like how many times she actually dressed like that. It just wasn't shown to us that way, or whether this was even intentional mm. in the film's part. I mean, I think the very, like, key bit where you sort of see this game is happening is the sort of, like, I'm in love with Summer bit, right? When, like, it's sort of, like, I love um, the way she laughs. I love the way she, like, licks her lips before she speaks. Well, it was Max's lips before she speaks. I love her knees. I love, like, the heart-shaped birthmark on her neck. And that's sort of, like, breaking her down into these, like, different parts, like, very explicitly. And it's this idealised version of this woman that's sort of coming from that perspective. That's only about her looks, though. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's all about the way it makes him feel. It's like it yeah. makes me feel. Yeah. Exactly. And it can make him feel entirely differently when he reverts all of that and yeah, yeah, just pinpoints yeah. those as the things that know him most about her. Yeah, the heart shaped um, birthmark all of a sudden becomes not so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's a cockroach <laughs> and the knobby knees. Yeah, 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 and I feel like the way that he speaks about summer. Sorry, just like I'm like if like the way like he's so like horrible about her whenever she does something that he doesn't agree with. Like, oh, like if someone overheard that, like surely she, like you know I would not like this person anymore if like I heard him talking about me in this way. The way that he's sort of like so easily is sort of like oh she's a skank or like oh she's like I hate her or you know or like even when they're still together, like even before they like break up or like they go through different things, it's like whenever she he does something that he's not happy with, he'll like instantly start saying all these really horrible things. It's just quite toxic. Whenever she doesn't do what he wants, they do like in multiple points say like her favorite beetle is Ringo and how annoying that is to him. And I just thought like for a second, like just have her explain for like five seconds what that means. Like why? Like which album? Because like in the moment right before they break up, they go into that uh, record store again and he like holds up this thing because he's just trying to save like whatever's like wrong between them and she just doesn't react to it at all and i'm like because you have never engaged with this because like if you told me that you like a certain band that i really dislike i would probably ask you like why like which album like did it mean something to you during a certain time in your life but he doesn't even know like why she likes he doesn't even know why she likes ringo because he never asks her because everything that he likes about her is based on how she looks and mm. how it makes him feel but i find interesting about the different media that pop up throughout the movie is that she ends up meeting her husband while reading Dorian Gray and he doesn't interrogate her about this at all. It doesn't seem interesting to him in any sort of way. Like, it just goes completely unacknowledged, it would appear. By Tom, do you mean? By Tom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of that parallel between, like, her, like her future husband asking her about something she's interested in, like, portraying an interest compared to yeah. him giving her a book that she said, oh, that looks nice. <laughs> like, is that is that a fun book? He's like, yeah, here, please. Architecture, it's not even her expertise. <laughs> and, like, she pays, like, when when they sit on the park bench, she's like, just show me, like, what do you mean? Like, she's interested in architecture as it pertains to this guy, as it pertains to this guy that she's currently hooking up with. But he just has no interest in, like, exploring her interest in anything. And... I don't know. I just thought it was so cute that she was like, come on, show me what you mean. Like, I'm interested in listening to you. And the fact that it does end with her saying, um, like, I randomly sat in a cafe reading Dorian Gray and a guy asked me about it. And now he's my husband. Um, I guess it could have been Tom if he would have paid like a little bit of attention. 
Like this could have turned yeah. into something romantic if he would have maybe asked her about one thing about her. Yeah, and not being so snobbish about his own tastes. Yeah. yeah, or only paying attention to what she's interested in if it's related to him in any way. Like it's like, oh, she likes the Smith. She she likes the Smiths, and I like the Smiths, so I'll show her that I like the Smiths, kind of thing, or like anything like that. It was, I will say, also like a huge thing when I was a teenager to just be so opinionated or um, have this idea of like, um, there's the right type of media to like and the wrong type of media to like. Mm -hmm. And anything that was sort of pop culture or just just sort of seen as like not intellectual. And it depended on the person you were talking to, but that immediately always made it like, oh, you were like uncool because you like this, Mm -hmm. you know? So what we talked about, too, in, like, the Bob's Burgers episode about this idea of the reason why I never really got into boy bands for the most part, or anything that was sort of pop music, I guess, not necessarily boy bands, but it was because I was so concerned with, like, being, like, interested in the right type of media, you know? And the idea of, like, a guy being like, oh, you also like the Smiths, like, you also like this thing that not everybody's into, I guess, like, quote-unquote alternative music was just such a huge part of the culture back then, and... I guess the movie is deep in that way that it sort of tells you that that's not what's important when you meet people. <laughs> like, you shouldn't make assumptions about people's character or, like, how nice or good they are based on what they like. And they shouldn't just yeah. like stuff because you like stuff. Yeah. And when, when he's talking to his sister as well, he's like, you know, oh, we both like this thing and we both like this thing. It's like, it's all about the kind of stuff that he likes. And it's sort of like, in that moment, like, it kind of doesn't necessarily throw up the red flags because you're like, oh, yeah, usually, you know, when you're getting to know someone, it's sort of like, oh, what do you both have in common? But then it kind of, like, keeps on like that, where he doesn't, never progresses past that stage of, like, oh, what do we have in common? Or, like, what does she like that I also like? Um, it's all, it's, it kind of is always about him, like, until the very end, like, how does she relate to me? Exactly. How does this make her my soulmate? <laughs> because she likes yeah. to read and hopper. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, again, if I'm giving the movie credit, I have to take it away again because I'm immediately seeing the note that I wrote, which is like, every time she talks, the movie cuts to music. And I don't think that's only because we're seeing it through like Tom's eyes of like, you know, when they sit on the train and they're laughing and talking and they realize they do sort of get on quite well. They do sort of know how to have a repertoire. No, what's it called? Um, rapport. Thank you. Thank you. Um, they do have a rapport going on. Like they do seem to be able to talk really easily. But again, you don't hear her speak. You just see her laugh and the music swells. But again, is that the movie telling me like this is Tom's Mm. perspective? Or is that because the movie also doesn't seem to have any interest in this person? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very, it'd be easy to give this this movie too much credit for just, like, being smart and, like, being like, oh, it's all just a critique. <laughs> but again, like, it starts out with calling like, her a bitch. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I think with that framing, that completely undid my, or, like, that, yeah. immediately I was like, maybe this isn't. Yeah. really taints it in a way. Yeah, maybe this isn't as deconstructive as it thinks, like to think it is, or, like, maybe this isn't as yeah, subversive as it thinks it is. Um Did you, did yeah. you two think anything of the narration in terms of this, like, God- like omniscient person who's sort of talking about the whole thing um sort of from like a perspective because the the thing that i also didn't understand because it didn't bother me as much i know lily you hate narration but um i thought it was really interesting when the movie cuts to the part of like reality versus expectation i thought the movie would have been a lot more interesting if it wouldn't have told me what it's doing in that moment hmm. 
because it literally told me what it's about to do, and I was like, why is that necessary? Because for the rest of the movie, the, the narration didn't bother me, because I sort of forgot that it was there when it showed up again. I was sort of yeah. like, oh yeah, there's a narrator in this, there's like a god-like omniscient narrator in this movie. Yeah, and you immediately have the sad song playing, like it's just this immediate foreshadowing that something bad's about to happen. <laughs> so extremely sad. And he just leaves the party when it's not even when the sun hasn't even gone down. Because yeah. is the narrator yeah. telling us that this is deeper or is the narration also sort of like telling us that this isn't as deep as we think it is? Mm. Because when it ends, um like the narration says like Tom finally learned his lesson. And then it stops because Tom goes back and talks to Autumn again. And so you're like, okay, yeah. so you didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah. At all, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder whether, because I'm like, not sure whether the narrator is supposed to be like Tom's internal, or like kind of what Tom imagines is like happening to him. Because it's like the film is obviously like centered around him and like, you know, when he's, like, imagining, like, with the flash mob sequence, it's like, I'm the main character of this story kind of thing, kind of, like, drawing attention to that. But then, like, is the narrator... The narrator seems to know more than Tom does, even though it sort of is Tom's film and his, like, perspective, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, I actually didn't hate the narrator. I actually quite like the way they did it in this film. I think they did it well, and I think it's because it's kind of commenting, and it sort of has... Because it's slightly meta and it's sort of commenting on what's happening, it's sort of like a slightly mocking, kind of slightly... Like a more sort of self-aware kind of narrator, which I thought worked kind of quite well, actually, in quite a lot of it. Um, I didn't actually hate it when it kind of came up to the sort of um, expectation versus reality thing, but I, I feel like you're probably right. Like you probably could have not had the narration there, but I guess it's sort of like like maybe you don't need like expectation versus reality on screen and then someone telling you expectation versus reality. Yeah, I don't think that scene tried to problematize his expectations at all. I think it was just. Mm -hmm. Or just one of those scenes that's supposed to show us, okay, we've all been there, we've all encountered these situations. I don't think it was trying to problematize the fact that Tom has these extremely high expectations of Summer and projecting them onto her. Do you think it was just trying to make it more re relatable to the audience? I guess so. I don't know. I just remember that scene mm -hmm. also being like re reality versus expectations being used as a meme for a very long time. <laughs> Is that where that came from? Did it come from the yeah. film? Yeah, like have you, like it's literally the scene that they usually show. It's like her, him standing there talking to Summer and her laughing, versus him standing there alone with a beer in his hands. I remember that being sort of used oh, in like a thousand memes. I know that meme. Like that's a ubiquitous <laughs> meme. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, I remember when I was watching it, and it, as it was coming up to that scene, my mum being like, "Oh, it's the famous scene," and I was like, "What famous scene?" Um, and then, <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, right, it's even part of meme culture." And I did not realize that this was this. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. That's something fun to find out. I did think the party scene was very interesting okay. because it very clearly showed us again, which was this bit of, like, us not knowing anything about Summer. Again, which I would attribute more to the movie than to Tom's perspective, which is that, wh who are these people? Like, who are these friends? Like, the fact that she's mm. having a party, like, weeks after she sort of left this job, <laughs> and I'm like, who are these people? I've never okay. seen any of these people yeah. before. Yeah, only recently moved to LA. Like, how does she know so many people? <laughs> yeah. But again, because we only ever see her like hanging out with Tom, and like, there's again, she meets his friends. Yeah, really. She doesn't just know these people for like two days. Yeah, 
I think going back to what you were saying about like the narrative perspective and like how it jumps around, it's sort of like you don't. It's like five hundred days is like a lot of days, and you only see like a very small handful, like the kind of particular ones that Tom decides are like the important ones and then the important kind of points of like comparison. But like within that time, like so much is happening. It's like her first hundred days in LA, basically. There's so much extra space in this in this time that you don't see like you kind of you have that very limited like perspective of LA you have that very limited sort of like perspective of this temporality as well but yeah like who are these people because clearly she knows who all of them are yeah remember when he calls her a bitch because she said she had a good weekend maybe that's when she met all these people (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) we should forget she's so popular she would just be friends (laughs) yeah I don't know. Most um, anonymous places in the world, probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so they've met. They've both gone to the um, karaoke bar. She finds out that he's into her. And then she makes out with him in the coffee room. I remember, I mean, again, I was a teenager and I didn't have a job like that. Like I had never worked in an office before. But now watching it now at this age, I was sort of watching that going like, that's so annoying. Like imagine if like colleagues of yours was just making out in the coffee room. Like I don't like I don't want to deal with your relationship at work. I just want to copy something. <laughs> yeah. And when they make out in Ikea as well and you're just like, God, like it's just so obnoxious. And then the kind of the racist bit where they're talking about the like the family in the bathroom as well. It just makes it extra just like, fuck you guys. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. But it was interesting, too, because I always forget this, but because, um, yeah, like L.A. is one of those places, too, that's like a super diverse city. And you're watching two white people fall in love with white friends and white colleagues. And I mean, I guess Millie and her husband aren't white, but like for the most part, the people who speak or say anything are just are never But it is used, like, they are sort of, like, people of color are used as sort of background, um, sort of to make this sort of story more interesting. Yeah. The yeah. then becomes the replacement assistant, for example, you know, coming in with sort of disappointment as well, like, as seen from Tom's perspective. Again, that's such a waste, too, and, like, I'm an amazing comedic actress, as you can see, a community. <laughs> Like, she's so good, and she's so funny, and then she's just the person who, like, tells Tom, like, hey, you have a meeting. Yeah. Um, I also just, I don't know if this is just my perspective on relationships, but when I watched this movie again as a teenager, and he says, like, he wondered whether anyone had made it this far because she tells him about his about her dreams. I was, uh, at the time, I thought, oh, this is so romantic, and this time I was like, I annoy my friends with stories like this. Like, this is not something that I, like, tell someone that I've found like a deep intimate connection with like i just randomly sometimes tell stories where i'm like it was so weird like i was falling and it just didn't stop and then i woke up and i wasn't i was still tired like <laughs> this is not like this yeah. is not necessarily something i tell someone in order to um tell them that they've made it as to a certain again this idea of treating intimacy is like a level game Ugh. yeah Yeah, and the yeah, it always kind of feels like different bases, but like kind of the bases of intimacy. Yeah, and the conversation in itself seems disjointed in a way. Like it, it just seemed really staged the way you were saying it. Like they just zoom in at that moment where she says, "Yeah, I have that," and my teeth falling out, tornadoes. It's <laughs> it's just seems like for appearance, really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like if that scene was from like um Summer's perspective, like it probably wouldn't even be in the film, like 
it kind of feels like potentially like this isn't like a particularly important moment for her at all. Whereas like Tom is sort of like kind of really making it into this thing with the like narrative narrator's like voiceover as well, sort of like making it into this really big moment. Um, but yeah. she does say, doesn't she say in that moment, I've never told anyone that story before. Then I'm like, really? <laughs> like, it's not that deep, is it? Or is that, again, is that just Tom yeah. telling us, like, I made it to level five, the dream sequence or something? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> kind of feels like he's looking for those. He's, like, very specifically looking for moments of being like, aha, I found it, and therefore this is true love, and therefore, yeah. like, you know, I found this very significant thing. Yeah. Which, again, like, I get the idea of getting into a relationship and feeling very insecure about where things are and not quite knowing, like, how to word what you need. And all those things make a lot of sense to me because it is super just nerve-wracking to sort of not want to put yourself out there to a degree because, like, that means you can potentially get hurt and everything. But to sort of treat this as sort of, uh, like you said, like, bases, like, I have to touch all the bases and... Sort of, I get to have sex with this person. Now I get to be intimate with this person. Now I get to talk to my about dreams with this person. I get to um, run around IKEA with this person. It just feels very calculated in a way, mm-hmm. like treating treating relationships again in terms of. And I I was thinking about this too in terms of heteronormativity, but this idea that I have of like going to dinner in a movie I get from like rom-coms. I don't know that that's actually something I've ever experienced in terms Mm. of like actual dating or the way that rom-coms sort of teach us or at least have taught me like you're not supposed to have sex with a person until the third date. Otherwise you're a bitch or a skank or whatever. Like a lot of that kind of stuff comes from, and I don't agree with any of this by the way, but like just to be clear, (laughs) but like that's a lot of that stuff comes from like rom-coms and like sex in the city storylines, like things like that. And the fact that he just seems to sort of just want to get to certain places, like he gets to finally be in her apartment, he gets to finally sleep over in her apartment. And again, why is like meeting the friends then not part of this whole storyline for him in terms of bases that he still needs to, the mm. levels he needs to yeah. reach? It feels like something yeah. that people do in a lot of rom coms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also thought it was interesting that like he's not the person to ask her out because she's the one who makes the move because she like, she asks him do you like me and he goes like yeah sure and he sort of weighs it off as like not being quite clear and then she makes mm-hmm. out with him in the copy room mm. like the yes. initiation comes from her still yeah <laughs> it's like so when they're talking with each other he often like he'll kind of follow the scripts that she puts down and then kind of expects her to do the same thing. And then, like, but he's kind of not really doing it for her benefit. He's kind of doing it for his own. Like, when she's like, you know, I just want to keep this casual. Is that all right? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. And it's like, you're kind of giving her the answer she wants to hear so that this can go on. But, like, that's not really the truth of, like, you know, what you want to say. And then later on when he's like, or, or it's like, um, I'm happy, aren't you happy? When he, he's like, you know, um, are we in a relationship? And she's like, you know, I'm, I'm happy, aren't you happy? And then later when he repeats that to her and she doesn't like respond in turn like it's sort of like he's following these scripts for her um but then she doesn't reciprocate and that kind of throws him off because he's like well i'm doing this thing for you so why aren't you doing the same thing for me um but that's because he's not really doing it for her at all again this movie will make so much sense to me if this was about 15 16 year olds (laughs) because I would keep thinking like yes you don't know what relationships are you don't know quite like what intimacy is you don't quite know like what sex means or what it doesn't mean you think about relationships maybe in a very binary sense based on your upbringing because 
both rom-coms and kind of like religious conservatism. That's not a word. Like religious institutions yeah, tend to teach you. Yeah. I think there were like, there was like a, an ism too much in there when I said it. <laughs> um, but this idea of, you know, if you kiss someone, you're together with them, which means you're probably going to marry that person later or something. Like I do understand this idea that you think of uh, relationships as like this, you're together or you're not together, which again, like if you don't know the language about polyamory or like the idea of being open with someone, which again needs to be communicated. But <laughs> the, um, but I do understand all of that. But again, he's not 16. And that's why I also thought the segment about him like dancing, like I thought I still found the music video really enjoyable to watch. I think that that's so beautiful, like shot in a way. And I do think it's really fun and it's like quirky, but not in an annoying way to me anyways. And like you said, everyone dressed in blue and everyone's sort of like congratulating him. And <laughs> and then when he looks in the really car cute. window and it's Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> what a stud, yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought it was really cute and stuff. But again, this is, is this, I just, it felt to me like someone having the, sex for the first time in a way like it was like yes i finally did it or something and i was like you're in the late 20s what is this like and you know if this, this is the first time he's having sex great but that's not what the movie is telling us right like that's not the point of the film where i'm like well i'm glad for you like this is something you wanted to experience and you did it finally it's just sort of again it's, it's like a like a, a victory parade for finally getting into summer's pants somehow and as soon as i think about it that way i'm like Ugh. yeah and you never know how anything makes her feel like maybe she had her moments of suffering throughout this whole drama as well we yeah. just never, um get to know about this we just know her as the cool girl who seems to be in control of everything but we don't know about all the ups and downs for her like yeah it becomes really in that moment when she says that all you, all they do is argue and that's why she's uncomfortable with him did you enjoy having sex with him? Was this a fun bit for her or no? Was the dream sequence interesting to her? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about the cartoon bird. For some reason, I always remember yes. Harrison Ford, but I forgot about the cartoon bird. <laughs> this is the 2009 version of a boy being a Disney princess having sex for the first time. <laughs> Even nature celebrating with you. Can we talk about summer for a second? Yeah. I just wanted to say that because I, I forgot to mention that when we were when you two were talking about the um like flashback when we see her in childhood and riding a bike and everything. This just really pissed me off when it said pointed to her and it was like hundred and twenty one pounds average. Like and I was like, that is not fucking average and fuck you. Um <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to mention that. That really bugged me so much because I guarantee you as a kid, when I, not a kid, but like as a teenager, when I watched this, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, like that kind of stuff yeah. just really fucks you up because even in 2009, that was not the average weight for women. So no, <clears throat> I think it's also sort of describing Zoe Deschanel in terms of her looks as being sort of average. Like she's just another girl. And you're like, no, this is an extremely attractive person. And that's, again, something they do in rom-coms a lot. Like, the hair is always perfect. The makeup is always perfect. Like, these people usually wake up with, like, lashes on and everything. And they just look really beautiful. And then it's like she was just another girl. And you're like, no, no one looks this way. Like, there's a, you know, like, I get that 
movies, yes, are fake. You have to suspend, suspend your belief. But there's a weird thing that you were taught in rom-coms that just looking perfect is sort of like the norm for you in everyday life. I don't know. It just uh, The difference between Tom in the end, like having his hair styled up, felt mm -hmm. so much more intentional and interesting to me because he does look very different for the rest of the film than Zoe Deschanel. It just looked a little bit more serious. I don't know. That struck me quite a lot because I was sort of like, and now she's sort of like lost. She's not like a girl anymore she's become a wife and <laughs> now that you're a wife you are serious and mature and you wear like I don't know kind of mature looking sweaters or whatever she's wearing instead of like fun <laughs> dresses and now she is in love she has changed um and she's no longer the mature girl she was before and it's sort of like it felt like very that to me um which was a little bit strange and it's sort of like I don't know, because it's like, obviously she's sort of like this sort of like quirky girl stereotype and then she becomes like, she like evolves into like the mother, or not the mother, but the, the, like the bride. I know what you Or mean, the yeah. wife, even. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of like she just moves from one stereotype to another. <laughs> but yeah. But again, am I, am I giving the movie too much credit if I say like, is that how Tom sees her after she's married? That she sort of loses a little bit of, like, youth in a way? Or is that just the movie sort of being like, this is what happens when you get married. Like, you change your personality, I guess, which, that's the right thing. Yeah, probably a mix of both. But I also thought it was interesting that the person who um, lifts up the veil is like a Zoe Deschanel lookalike. And I don't know if there's any meaning attached to that at all. If you have, like, another summer left behind who's... The bridesmaid, perhaps? Really? Wait, I didn't, I don't remember that. I don't remember that they at all either. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's this scene where they play, uh, the Vagabond song, and where, um, someone lifts up her veil, and the person doing it is also another brunette with a, with a fringe and, uh, just because Tom's imagining it and she can only imagine <laughs> he's like not met any of her family so he just like pictures like all of them just look exactly alike yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because when he when he like is rude to the blind date when he says like like you don't look anything like summer like to him only like p women only look like summer or they don't look like summer <laughs> yeah there is summer or not summer There's the two there are two types of women uh <laughs> We've already expanded two types of people, now there's three. <laughs> okay, so um, I sort of vaguely remember that scene where I, from the first watch uh, I did with this movie, I sort of didn't remember the fact that she gets hit on like that. I thought it was interesting since my, like, feminist perspective has changed so much since then, I thought the fact that she was so cool and collected talking to the guy who was uh, sexually harassing her was amazing to me. Like, not in, I'm not saying in a positive or negative way, but I was very impressed with the fact that she just got so, she just remained so calm in a way of just being like, listen, I just don't want to talk to you. Thank you. I'm flattered. Please go away. And I was so shocked by this because I don't remember that being the bit. I do sort of remember that I thought that she was getting hit on and he was like defending her a little bit. And then this time watching it, I was like, why did you punch him? Like, <laughs> this was already resolved. Like, this dude, this was creepy guy was already like going yeah. away yeah. in a way. Oh, uh, yeah. He left at that point. Yeah. But it's also, you get like the other side of like, you know, in the beginning bit, where they're sort of talking about the summer effect it's talking about all the like kind of like double takes she gets and kind of like romanticizing that and then in this moment you kind of get what that's kind of like for real or like get the other side of like 
kind of this like unwanted like male attention um and then but then even in this moment Tom manages to make it about him um and he can't like sort of step outside himself enough to sort of like actually appreciate how uncomfortable that situation probably is for Summer he doesn't care what this does to her because this is super uncomfortable and like this has happened to every person who is like presents femme or is read as femme in any way shape or form like some dude just bothering you and like the fact that she's so controlled and manages to sort of get rid of him I'm like oh god thank god that guy is gone now and then he said because the reason Tom punches him is because he says like oh you're with this guy like mm. it's, it's nothing to do with Summer being uncomfortable it has just to do with his like male ego being hurt somehow but it also pissed me off a little bit about yes. myself I was like why do I not remember it that way though from the first time I watched it I did not feel that way at all no it's interesting though because I was I also would have been like, oh, it's reasonable for Tom to like go and punch this guy. Like, I don't. So it, in a way, it's like, no, this is like kind of kind of gross behavior. It's all about him. It's not about her at all. Um, and like this is kind of a weird way to like don't punch someone to like defend them. Like that's about your masculinity. That's not about them. But then she like he's like, oh, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have had that fight. It's the one who then shows up in the rain at his house. But then is that to do yeah. with her not wanting to put a label on their relationship, or is that to do with the actual disagree, like the um punch? Yeah, the way I understood it didn't have so much to do with the bar fight because mm-hmm. uh, she's being kind of vague about the exact reasons why she came there. And then Tom's like, no, it's just that I need some more consistency. And I would say that his desire to experience consistency didn't have a lot to do with that argument in the bar. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see how he would be mad at her for um, what happened. Because is that the scene when she sort of apologizes to him when she also says that when he says he wants consistency in someone who just doesn't wake up one day wanting something different. And then she says, again, because she's an adult here, she says, no one can give you that, which is true. Like you can be married to someone, you can make legal decisions about the relationship that you're in, you can declare it to the government about how you feel about each other, and you can still wake up one day and be like, I don't really think I want this and that should be fine because that's also one of those scenes that didn't bother me as much when I was a teenager that really fucked me up this time was when he yells at her I'm in this relationship and I get to have a say in this too and yells at her and then runs out and I was like dear god what the fuck is wrong with this dude like all the possessive shit like that's so weirdly abusive to me that he has no way of being happy outside of this relationship early on in the movie when um, they say that he cannot be, he cannot truly be happy until the day he met the one, and then he's just projecting everything onto Summer, and she suddenly becomes the signifier of this sentiment that he's been pursuing all his life, apparently. I just wonder if, like, if Summer had stayed with him, how long it would have taken for that image to sort of crumble. You know what I mean? Interesting question. Because, like, at I some point, that question. like image she has of her is gonna crumble, like. Like, he hates her smile, he hates her laugh as soon as she breaks up with him, but, like, that image that he has of her, like, only can remain intact as long as he doesn't get to know her. Right? Because she doesn't have flaws yet. Yeah. Right? And like you said before, 500 days is a long time to, like, (laughs) still idolize someone, not know them, and, like, not see their flaws. Wow. Like, you don't see yeah. a star, you don't really see, I don't know, like, you don't see pimples, you don't see anything wrong with her face, her body, her anything. She's, you know, a very skinny person, she's, you know, she's white, she's sort of a, a 
like fulfills all these like conventionally attractive things. She even looks like the girl that he prefers. Like when he when they talk about the fact that like girls nowadays wear like giant um have like a lot of tattoos and wear giant sunglasses and stuff. And I was like, how the fuck is any of that your business? And <laughs> <laughs> stuff I wasn't aware of that that people actually do are wearing giant sunglasses. Yeah, was that a 2009 thing? Were people wearing giant I think sunglasses? So, yeah. 2009. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I remember I used to like try them on in um, like grocery stores and stuff because they were really like the fashion at the time. Oh right, and, like, like tiny dogs and purses and stuff. But the thing is, like with my face, it always sorry, it always made me look like a giant insect. I thought <laughs> <laughs> with like this giant weirdly shaped glasses. It just always I just always looked in the mirror and I thought I looked like an alien. Like when aliens look like insects, I just always thought. Good look. That, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. My aesthetic. Yeah. But the yeah. disagreement from this movie, just I truly find it really interesting that like so many people sided with Tom because, again, he's being so possessive. Or like even when she, because before she gets hit on, she makes a joke about getting a tattoo and he goes, no. And then she laughs and like the conversation is over. But it was like, you don't get to tell someone no when they say I want to get a tattoo. Like, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> But I do wonder, like, at what point, if she had stayed with him, at what point would he have noticed some flaws about her that he wouldn't like? And, like, like what would have made him into? Because, like, relationships just don't go the way that you want to because you're with someone else who makes their own decisions about what they do. Yeah, and you cannot just mold people to become the person to make you happy when we don't even know what hap- whatever happened to her after she left that job, if she's in a good place. Yeah! <laughs> Like, what does she move on to do? Do we find out? What does she What does she want to do? What does she find interesting? Yeah, what did she study? Did she study anything? Yeah, she did, because she was called Anal Girl. <laughs> Again, it's only like a sex, a sex joke that we hear about her time in college. What classes did she take that she found interesting? Like, she has that, uh, I don't know, because I don't know anything about art, but she has that painting of the guy with, like, the melon head and the... Uh, apple in front of his face as like a thing on her coffee table like is she interested in art why didn't you guys talk about that she listened to you talk about architecture i presume i guess like so i think you put in the notes on the like do do they ever do anything she wants to do and i think because i think the movies are kind of her thing that she like enjoys because she's like okay oh i want to go see this thing so i think it's sort of like they both do that together. And then we also talked about how, like, it's also a kind of romanticised sort of, like, you're going to see, like, these romantic movies or whatever. And it's also the kind of, like, couple thing to do as well. So it's sort of, like, they're kind of doing couple things for her rather than just, like, doing something that she'd want to do just, like, more, like, it is kind of interesting as well. That's kind of an acceptably couple thing to do, maybe. It is kind of interesting on a meta level that they... Like, rom-coms are movies you go to see on dates because they're fun and they're like a little bit flirtatious. And the thing that they do in this rom-com is go to see movies. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I thought the idea of The Graduate was super interesting because when I was 16, I had not seen The Graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they also, like, watch that, like, right before they break up. And I feel like that movie also sort of um, makes her, like, inspires her to break up with him because that movie does sort of inspire her to understand that... 
Like the big romantic gesture, um, in case you haven't seen the film. I don't want to like ruin it for anyone. I haven't seen The Graduate. Could you explain? Okay, spoiler alert for The Graduate. I, I didn't get, I get that was The Graduate. It makes a lot of sense now that, like, I saw it in the notes and I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But I don't know what the kind of like point of it is. Like, I don't get the, I didn't get the reference. I'm sure it makes a lot of sense though. Would you mind got- explaining it to me? I'm gonna misquote it because this is one of those like famously misquoted lines, but it's that thing of like, are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? Yes, no, I, I have heard that, like, I know that yeah. line, I know that line, I know yeah. that about The Graduate. I guarantee yeah. that's not the exact line, um, <laughs> but um, it's this idea of this guy being into this girl and then he hooks up with her mother, that's very simplistically put. But the end result of that film is that he storms her wedding, the daughter's wedding, and as they run away together, you see that scene in 500 Days of Summer, they sit in the back of the bus. And it's actually, it's so beautifully acted because that movie doesn't have a clear ending because they both sort of look, they were like taken with this moment of passion of like, yeah, the sky that I like, I think, saved me from this wedding that I'm not 100% sure about. And then they both look, they're not looking at each other, they're looking like not even at the camera. And they're both not sure. And their like facial expression is, what the fuck did I just do? Uh, and it's yeah. them like running away from the wedding realizing that they just made a huge decision about their life at least like in terms of not getting married in terms of like running and breaking up someone's wedding um and what that means for the two, two of them and i think some are watching that and sort of getting how like deeply moving that scene is and him like it's told us to in the beginning that tom finds this movie to be very romantic and you're like really <laughs> and like saying that he misunderstood it yeah, it mentions the total misreading of the movie The Graduates. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because Summer, I think, in that moment sort of realizes that, like, maybe that's whatever she's doing right now isn't what she wants. And, like, that sort of yeah. moves her because they go outside of the cinema and she cries and he's like, are you okay? And you're like, well, clearly not. <laughs> no. And then he's just like, yeah. And then he's just like, oh, let's just go see something. And then she's like, I just want to go home. He's like, pancakes. You're like... You're not listening. You're like not paying nope. any attention to this person nope. and what they actually need right now. No. I think it's also interesting that it sort of like mentions that Tom had like a misreading of the graduate when he was like younger and now he still doesn't get it. It's like he has had like no character yeah. growth since he was like 12 or whatever. <laughs> he's At still least the same no, person. Like, emotional. Which is why he's so rich. Yeah, no emotional maturity. <laughs> which again is like wild but uh yeah it just makes me feel like sadder and sadder for a summer that she had to deal with this dude like if i cry if i'm in a relationship with someone and i cry after a movie like i don't just want to hear like are you okay okay let's go get pancakes <laughs> <laughs> but interesting because the voice in which he would be saying that wouldn't be so like let's say hyper masculine like he would come across as sort of mellow in that scene. So I guess as a spectator, you wouldn't glimpse that at first sight. You'd be like, oh, but he's nice. Like, he's asking her if she's doing okay. Yeah. I guess yeah. we have that in a lot of situations where his tone is sort of mellow and sort of soft-spoken, which um, makes what he's saying actually come across very differently. But it's also like, I think, I don't know whether that means anything. I don't know if this is an interesting thing, but she demands to see this film. Like, before they go to the movies, they sit in, like, a cafe, and she's like, no, I want to watch this. Because he's, like, wanting to do something else, I think. So yeah, I guess that's, he like, just a wants to go home. And yeah. she doesn't want to just, like, hang out with him at home. She'd rather go see a film. Um, <laughs> and she, oh and she, also, she also, like, makes a demand. She's like, I do want to see this thing as well. 
That's so sad, too, because, like, that's her, like, for once, like, claiming time for herself and, like, no, I want to do what I want to do. And then, like, that's, like, the experience she has because she watches this movie and it moves her so deeply. <laughs> and he still just doesn't have time to, like, give a shit about her emotions in that moment. Like, she would have needed someone to, like, be her, there for her in that day. Like, she yeah. had a really horrible day that day. And, like, or, like, at least, like, a deep emotional experience that day. And, like, and then broke up with someone and... <laughs> I know this movie is, like, it's a movie, it's fake, but, like, the entire internet was, like, fuck summer. <laughs> In terms of, like, the takeaway of the movie, well, yeah, we've already said, like, do we think Tom's learned anything? No. We're not sure. <laughs> I would say no. He's just passing from one woman to the next. To the next yeah. season. I kind of feel like he just sort of like shirks responsibility. That's sort of what it feels like to me when he's sort of making his big speech about like, you know, it's all these like films and TV shows and cards that we give to people. And it's sort of like in a way he's making a good point about sort of like like social norms and sort of like how we're socialized to think like about true love in a certain way. But then at the same time, he's sort of just saying like none of this is my fault. This is all just like the socialization like. I'm all messed up just because of this stuff and it's got nothing to do with, like, my personal decisions. Kind of feels like it just sort of is a way of letting himself off the hook. Uh, Maybe we could talk about that scene for a second when they sit at the park bench and she sort of says, like, you look sharp. And, like, she's being super nice to him and then he just says, like, I still don't understand, like, how you've gotten married since you didn't want to be in a relationship. And then he says that thing of, like, you just do what you want, don't you? And this is the line that I will say that has not changed for me that I've liked since I first watched this movie, which is that she, when she sort of goes like, I just woke up one day sure of what I was never sure of with you. I just thought that was so beautiful because that scene to me was just the exact thing of what it was. He didn't want her to do what she wanted to do because she didn't exist anywhere outside of his own narrative understanding of her as a character in his own rom-com playing in his head. And she was Mm -hmm. like, no, I just didn't, I wasn't sure of you, and I am was sure of this other person. That's it. Like, it isn't some deep, great conspiracy against him as a man or something. It isn't, like, it isn't her being mean or something. It's just literally, the thing that he was scared of, like, the certainty is just an emotion, and that he cannot control that in other people. Yeah. And I thought that was beautifully written. Yeah, and it's also totally valid because they were never officially in a relationship. <laughs> they had been seeing each other, but she's also free to be seeing other people, I guess. Well, in general, yes, you get to do what you want. Like, <laughs> you have to deal with the yeah. consequences of it. Yes. Like, if you go around cheating on people and treating people like shit, like, that's also going to have consequences, but she didn't do that. No. Yeah. Oh, I just love that line so much. I just, yeah. So because it's sort of, uh, it does sort of, I guess, deactivate, deactivate, it does sort of play against a lot of, like, rom-com stuff where it's like, this was meant to be, and it's just not, like, not necessarily, I mean, you know what, that's not true, because she does say that it was meant to be, but for me, like, watching that scene, I'm like, for me, I interpret it as being more about the idea of sometimes these things just work out and sometimes they don't, and there's no greater... I mean, yeah, that is it's completely my reading and, like, killing the author in that moment because that's not mm. what she says. <laughs> she says that it was meant to be, that Tom was right. Yeah, So it's, and it's weird. And then you also have, it's, like, her explaining it to him. So it's sort of, like, she has to take on the role of, like, telling him the moral of the story. Like, she, it's still kind of, 
I guess in a way it's sort of like the manic pixie dream goal of like she has to be the one to explain it to him like he can't but then also it's giving some other voice and like the kind of like the you know she's the one that gets to assert like how she feels in that moment and give her perspective to Tom like so it's sort of I don't know it's so yeah I think she is the takeaway or like her line is the takeaway of the film but it is still like reinforcing this idea of a matter normativity because you're still telling this person in the audience that there is a person out there for you I don't know I always yeah. found that kind of idea terrifying personally because it just sort of makes romance this sort of like thing waiting around the corner And you're like, what if I don't want yeah. that right now? <laughs> like, what if I don't take the chance when I get it? Am I sort of fucked forever if I do want it later, too? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, Yeah. As with Tom, like, he's not in the face yeah. of receiving love. Like, he had just jumped from this Amanda relationship over to Summer. Like, yeah. He hasn't been to work to be prepared for a new relationship, right? Yeah. And you put in the notes, like, Tom needs really needs to learn to live on his own and, like, yeah. be on his own. Like... <laughs> yeah like he yeah. like i think uh, i think loretta you said this like he doesn't know how to be happy unless he's like projecting that onto someone else or like someone else provides that sort of happiness for him in terms of like a relationship like you need to know no loretta sorry you said that uh he doesn't like he doesn't seem to have hobbies or anything outside of the relationship it's like i hate my work and i love summer that's his like <laughs> entire personality and you're like okay Like yeah. what do you like? What do he and his buddies do other than like shit on other women and like talk about how emotions are gay? Like <laughs> maybe the three of you need to like I don't know play more Wii tennis or something. I don't know, like something. <laughs> and also only after the breakup that he thinks of changing jobs. Like it wasn't during the relationship. Like during the relationship, he never um, thought about improving any other aspects of his life. Like it was all about Summer. Mm -hmm. She was molding. Yeah. This perfect thing until she didn't. Do you, would you say that Summer like motivates his change, or is it like, is it the kind of manic pixie dream girl thing where it's like Summer is the thing that motivates him to change his ways and sort of like go for things? Because it kind of is, but then it's also her rejection of him rather than her kind of like, I don't know. What, what do you think? Because it's like when she when he's with Summer, he's very good at his like card factory job, but he does not go for like yeah. his actual dreams. Yeah. That is interesting. Whereas, I didn't think about it that way. He is very good at his job when they're together. Like he's sort of he's shown in like all these like fake segment, segments, almost in like a dream idea of like he goes to every department and he just has the perfect um, <laughs> line for the cards. <laughs> maybe yeah. also maybe it's sort of again like the idea of being in love for him takes up so much space in his brain that he didn't even yeah. think about being sad at work anymore. Yeah. And again, like this is a job where he can call call someone a super skank and he doesn't get fired. I would be very grateful for that job because it seems to pay you a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can just switch departments just like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you guys uh, do you two though like disagree with me in terms of like whether he's learned anything by the end? Well, I think. So I think what it kind of implies, so you've got like the reset at the end, which sort of implies, okay, nothing has changed. He's just going to like kind of, it's just a kind of re repetition of like a cycle. But then it's also like autumn, which is technically a sort of like progression on from summer. So it's sort of like a kind of like symbolically maturity. And also when he like asks out, like he literally he does ask out autumn rather than like waiting for fate, I guess. It's sort of like rather than like with summer where he sort of like wouldn't go for it 
he was sort of like and I waited for her to make the move which is sort of also not a bad thing to do but like it's also kind of like oh, oh it's sort of like not up to me I won't take responsibility whereas in, with Autumn he does take like make the move and he's like you know doing his architecture and things so it sort of like implies maybe but then also mm, maybe not what do you think yeah yeah I would say a mix of the two right I mean so one thing I like was that he suggested the coffee instead of going in again to the karaoke bar like he did on the blind date with Alison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got something new. I mean, we don't know how that turned out, but at least it's a, it's a new suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to revisit the whole summer experience. It's expanding his horizon, cheese. <laughs> I would argue, though, and again, this is interpreting way too much into this. Mm-hmm. Seasons change on their own. Ah, uh, sorry. <laughs> I just automatically. Like, like, but like, like seasons don't change sorry. because you make a decision. It's not because you're being having. It's not because you're making an active decision. <laughs> like summer changes into autumn, whether you want to or fucking not. Like <laughs> it's like aging. It's just that. Um, um, God, what's it called in English? The artist worth. Yeah, it's just cliche, but like seasons just change on their own. Like. I mean, I get that maybe they just sort of thought like, oh, 500 days of summer is like a pun because it's like, oh, 500 days of a summer, which also doesn't make sense because, again, over a year. But um, I just know that they were so clever about the name because like when he winks at the camera, I was like, oh, dear God. (laughs) But sorry, what you just said about like 500 days of summer, it's like you can't have a summer that lasts 500 days. It's also, again, it's like those sort of like unrealistic expectations. Like 500 days of summer. And we also know that that's not true because, like, there's a bunch of really shit days where, like, you know, it's all going really terribly. It's like this romanticized idea of a relationship. Yeah. Nice, nice. One thing I wondered, but even back then, is when they picked the name Autumn. Because, you know, Autumn is like a slightly darker season and it slowly turns into winter. Like, I wonder if that relationship is supposed to be depicted as slightly more somber or mm-hmm. maybe transitional thing to do with yeah. that. Yes, a transitional the relationship. Yeah. This is the bounce back. Um yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean they're both like, you know, they're both like going for like architecture jobs, they're both like, you know, like professionally mature and like I think that's yes. about it really. I don't I'm not sure he's matured that much more than that apart from that like, he now has like fancy hair and a like yeah. Dude. Um yeah and a tie wait does he wear a tie i think so (laughs) i hope if anything she kicks his ass and just tells him to shut the fuck up or something or like maybe he needs someone who's a little bit more confrontational about like when he bothers her just like when he doesn't make any decisions just for her to like go like hey can you like tell me what you want and then we can sort of like make a decision based on that as opposed to like you being moody and annoyed with me not doing what you personally would like to do (laughs) But I didn't even think about the idea of like autumn being a transitional like season, like spring, and I was like, ugh, <laughs> that poor girl. Yeah, and also the thing about seasons is that they like come around again. It's cyclical, so mm. it's sort of like oh. it's a progression. But then is it also just like one step forward, two steps back? Yeah, I I don't think this is what the movie was trying to tell us, though. I think that's our reading. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're definitely not reading too much into this. Never. Tom's <laughs> behavior, but I don't think this is what uh, what the producers intended. No, <laughs> I think they just thought it was a cool or something. Exactly, yeah. But it's a great thing of it, yeah. 
just again being sort of like, um, how old was I when this movie came out? 17, 16? Um, like just the idea of like, I just remember thinking that it was, so, sorry, this is so basic, but that it was so cool that like a movie started with like brackets 500 and then days of summer. <laughs> I just remember thinking because it was the German title as well, it wasn't like translated or something, I think, from what I remember. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, that's so cool because it has, like, a double meaning because it's, like, days of summer, but also, like, 500 days of summer. Eh, sorry. <laughs> I felt so clever, like, being like, oh, my God, this has, like, a double meaning. Yeah, and then again, I wonder, is it perhaps, like, also 500 different versions of that projection of the summer? Oh, that's true, yeah. I think also, like, the idea of, like, counting down the days in a relationship is also, like, kind of and weird. that? <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Because again, a very common rom-com trope is like the idea of like anniversaries and stuff and like celebrating your first kiss, celebrating the first time you had sex, celebrating the first time you went on a date. And they don't do that. So maybe they weren't even together for 16. Because I tried to do this, but it just got my brain started smoking, frankly. But um, I tried to sort of figure out at which day they actually start going out during the 500 ones, during the 500 days, and I wasn't sure. Like, maybe they weren't even together for a whole year. Yeah. And how much of this was, like, him pining over her? <laughs> and when did she actually... Yeah, and I mean... Because the boss mentions that um, everybody at the office knew, but it seems like she had left shortly after she started it, right? Yeah, because of the nonlinear structure, yeah, it felt really like everybody yeah. knew that they were dating, everybody knew that they broke up, and you're like, really? <laughs> I think also the thing about it being 500 days summer, it's not like the relationship itself, it's like his relationship to her, it's like these five, yeah. these 500 days that he had of summer, whereas it's like for her, it's like she is summer, so that like, you know, her life goes on. Exactly, just being enamored with the idea of her, but not with the actual person. Oh my god, I just remembered I also had that, um, because it's such a beautiful shot when they're both in the elevator, I had that as my cell phone background for a very long time. <gasps> oh. <laughs> with a brown backdrop. Yeah, just like her, him with like the messenger oh. back and just like looking over and her looking over to him. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this movie did sort of like do something to like the, the quote unquote the culture in a way because it was like so beloved for such a long time. Yeah, I just remember, like, also, I, we didn't talk about that so much uh, in the beginning, but the fact that, like, people would, like, comment on stuff on Twitter, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt being the one to be, like, um, the actor being, like, um, watch that movie again, he doesn't listen to her, and then everybody sort of just going, oh, I didn't even think about that from that perspective, because so much about this movie was sort of talking about what a bitch summer was to him. <laughs> yeah. I do like the fact that he was, like, calling it out, though, at least. But also Joseph yeah. Levitt was someone I disliked intensely in, like, the mid-2010s because he was so revered for... And this is nothing on this person because I don't know... I mean, I don't know him. But he was so applauded every time he talked about the fact that he identified as a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I was just sitting there going... Ah. Mm. <laughs> But I do remember he, because he's been like famous since he was a child, because he was on, um, wait, did you watch this? I think you watched this show, didn't you? Third Rock, Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do, Loretta? Did you do watch this? Yeah, some just <laughs> Am I the only person that hasn't seen this? <laughs> but, um, he like was on a talk show and someone asked him about why he has like a double last name and he said because his parents were hippies and they just didn't really think that like women should give up their names and something. 
And then like the talk show host in very sort of, I want to say like 90s, early 2000s fashion being like, ooh, how like progressive. And he was like, huh? Like, <laughs> he was very confused by that, I guess, as a child. Like the idea of like a woman like not giving her her name like to him was just childhood and to like talk shows was like, oh my God, how progressive. Also, I looked this up, by the way, because I wrote down, was this movie sponsored by Ikea? <laughs> I just thought it was so like, Yeah. <laughs> Probably. But, like, Ikea was literally the um, the the screenwriter or one of the screenwriters talked about that they just wanted to show that, like, certain experiences in a relationship when you're really in love seem really cute and then later just seemed like a total bore. So this, I guess, wasn't sponsored by Ikea. But it felt like an Ikea commercial. Like this is like a fun place to go and like check out all the different like you know new beds we have in and everything and I don't know it felt really like a commercial in that moment and get a flu and a fluke (laughs) was like yeah and all the things that you can get at IKEA (laughs) right they even mentioned products that's true yeah I didn't I wasn't even aware they were selling things. (laughs) <laughs> I tend to always go like I always have like a plan of what I want to buy and then I always go downstairs immediately I never go through like the <laughs> exhibition oh, bit I think I had in my head the first I mean I went to Ikea when I was younger but then I kind of did get this sort of like romanticized idea of Ikea which maybe came from this maybe it's sort of like sprang <laughs> up from this film but everyone was like oh you know you go to Ikea and then you like play in all the like areas and you sort of like pretend to like have food at the dinner table or whatever and I was like yeah when I go to my here I'm gonna have so much fun and then it just kind of wasn't it didn't live up to the expectations that everyone gave me although the food court was really good I do love an Ikea like the Ikea food court is so good um but yeah again it's sort of like expectation situation <laughs> expectation reality of just an Ikea <laughs> I don't know, it's so funny to me because I feel like now Ikea or like those type of places are now like known as places where you fight with your partner. And I have done that. I feel like I got to Ikea with someone I was in a relationship with and then just like being in the worst mood. And then you never find, because the whole point of it is that you, it's like, because it's um, organized in a way where you have to go through almost everything to get to the thing that you need. And Yeah, oh no. <laughs> And it just, I feel like it invokes fights much more so than it invokes, like, little romantic rela- um, moments or something. They should have gone back to Ikea in the film and then just got really frustrated that they had to, like, walk through all these rooms and then, like, look back. And then also look back at all the kind of area. Maybe it would have been too much, but like, look back at the areas where they had a good time and then just be kind of, like, frustrated that they couldn't get through or something. And then they sit in the food court and then they enjoy. And that, instead of the pancake thing, they, they sit in the Ikea food court um, and have Ikea meatballs. This is my alternative version of (laughs) the alternative ending. Again, I was just thinking, like, with the office stuff, I was just, when he played the music loudly when they were making on the copy room, I just imagined being sort of the frustrated person looking for the toilet brushes while two young kids are just, like, jumping around and, like, jumping into beds and everything. And you're just, like, standing there being like, oh, dear God, these people are so annoying. Can I ask about, um, I don't know, Loretta, have you ever read, um, die, Gott, wie heißt das Buch auf Deutsch? Die Leiden des jungen Werther? Yeah, I have. 
Please. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk about that scene where they're in the, just because I randomly just find this really interesting that they do this a lot. Recently in Euphoria, they were referencing Rilke, and I just sat there rolling my eyes going like, yes, I get it, you were German authors. Um, I just thought it was interesting that in this movie they say, um, Summer goes, I nominate young Werther here, yeah. and one of Tom's friends goes, when she says that she doesn't want to be in a relationship, he says, the lady doth protest too much. Mm. And I was just wondering about this idea of referencing authors, whether this was sort of, did you, did you two feel that this was pretentious or did you feel that it was interesting or, because See, I found it really yeah. interesting when I was 16 or whatever. Um, but this time I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I use the lady doth protest too much, methinks, in like regular, I do say that sometimes, um, because I'm really cool. <laughs> Because I'm a literature student. No, I don't know. I I do find, I quite like that phrase, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I like me things. <laughs> me things. If, if you know, if you've read Hamlet like I have, uh, studied at A level, yeah, that one didn't jump out to me too much. I think just because I sometimes use it. I didn't get the young Werther reference. Um, I didn't know what that was referring to. You don't know that book. You're not cultured like this movie is telling you. <laughs> oh, I'm yes. Yeah, Oh, no. You haven't seen The Graduate, you don't know Young Werther. I'm, but I, I listened to Bell and Sebastian, uh, and I, <laughs> I like Bell and Sebastian, and um, uh, the other thing as well, and Shakespeare, so I'm like halfway there. I'm basically, I'm Smith. half of Zoe de Chanel, and yeah, Smith's okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, that has taken like a very sharp turn, that story about the Smiths, like as a reference nowadays, but um it's um i can only recommend the a bad gaze episode about one of the members of the smiths um but <laughs> but um the young Werther is a story about this dude being sort of just really terribly in love with this person who doesn't love him back and it ends really badly i don't want to like spoil anything oh yeah but it's just a reference of like okay Tom seems really happen. emotional and depressed or like that's the reference. That's what it is. But I read this. I just wanted to know whether Loretta read this because I read this as a teenager being in a phase of I have to read the German classics. And then I hated the book like nothing else. I've not revisited it. So I'm sure there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. But um yeah, I just wanted to know whether since we have now have another German person on the podcast. <laughs> like, have you read this too? <laughs> Yeah, we did read it, and I did find it extremely annoying. <laughs> but did you, like, read it at school? Did you talk about what all the different things, like, represent and, like, analyze it at school, or did you just read it? No, we talked about it, and um, there was an option to have it as a subject in your Abitur as well. Oh, okay. We talk mostly about the pantheism and um, like the natural imagery in the in the novel, like about some of the literary references with Schiller too, but not so much about his actual sufferings, like the title would imply. <laughs> See, I didn't do any of that. I just read it and was annoyed at this dude. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I think it's kind of interesting whenever they reference certain writers to sort of show that they've read books i guess i was wondering whether that sort of also ties to them like showing movie scenes for movies that maybe those sort of the mainstream audience maybe hasn't seen to also show like i've seen like the movies i've been i've, I've gone to film school yeah no i think you're right actually because i'm like i didn't get most of the homages um so i'm like yeah no they're just pretentious and making me feel like i don't know anything um, i mean if it represents but... something please tell me but i just didn't get it because i've seen those movies and stuff but like i'm like i just 
I don't know, just summer turning to her head to the side and going, so much suffering. I just thought. I okay. found that really funny because it was just like so <laughs> melodramatic. It's like, because it's sort of like him, yeah, just like projecting this melodrama into like a kind of old black and white film. I don't know, I, I found that quite amusing, but I can also see it, 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 it is also a little bit like, and now we are referencing these classic films. Um, it's sort of a little bit, you get to kind of tip your hat a little bit there as well. If it is something interesting about this, then I would happily know about that, but I just didn't get whatever the reference was, so yeah. But it was really fun listening to the two of you because this just sort of opened more levels to this, listening to you two and like, what you sort of got out of this and how you interpreted scenes differently. I do think now the movie has maybe like certain things that aren't, don't have as many levels as I thought and other things do have more levels than I thought. Mm. But that's interesting to me anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It depends on your reading of it, right? And like how you see it. No, I find it interesting that you could have so many different readings of it depending on where you're coming from exactly. Like a lot of straight dudes would be like, oh yeah, I see. This movie totally gets me because, like, I've been there, I've been that person, and like, we can be that too. And like, we used to see it differently as teenagers as well. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that guy, and didn't see a lot of um, misogyny stuff in this moment. Mm-hmm. I do hope that most men would grow out of that kind of stuff by the time they hit, I don't know, 24. <laughs> it did sort of, I think it's interesting because this movie was so successful because Joseph Gordon Levitt was famous, but he was just in indie movies and stuff like that. It did catapult mm. both him and Zoe Deschanel into a totally different level of stardom because this movie was so successful. And Zoe Deschanel sort of got a lot of the treatment that we talked about in terms of um, how the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is sort of like wrongly attributed because mm. people were saying, like, why does she always dress in like flowery dresses and with a red lipstick? And why does she bring ukuleles to get talk shows and like sings along to songs and stuff like that? And it's like, because she's a musician. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> she can play an instrument. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she just likes dressing that way. And like, why is this something that we criticize of her rather than, rather than criticize the fact that this movie doesn't have a whole lot of people in it that aren't white or the fact that this movie does sort of have a very weird view of heterosexual relationships or of men. And that's where I think the different readings also come from because a guy can be like, oh, but look, he made an effort. Like, he was really... <laughs> fighting for this woman look at all the things that he did but then you're like yeah but you never listened to any of her needs but i guess a lot of people could see it as that like oh look at this lonely boy like all the things that he did for this woman but yeah it was not the thing she asked for so it was very sort of reaffirming of sort of the rights that men sort of claim for themselves in this type of Mm. relationship again i'm not just lecturing i am very happily telling you that i mean not happily because it is horrible but (laughs) i did not think about the fact that i didn't know anything about summer when i watched this movie for the first time Mm. i just thought she was pretty that was pretty much all i remember from that movie and that last line when she says you know what i was never sure of with you but the rest of it i just it never dawned on me that you just never really learn anything about her I guess it's one of those things where it's like partly on the viewer, but then also partly how the film portrays it as well, which is sort yeah. of what we've kind of been like coming back to, I think, again and again. It's like, how far can we like blame the viewer for not being critical enough in, so, or, or even like kind of be like, oh yeah, it's a great film because like if you look at it in this way, it's all about how Summer isn't listened to. Isn't that great? But then if the film itself is just like not listening to this character and also not making it explicit enough or at least if it's easy, like that easy for people to just like kind of see Summer as the bitch and like, yeah, and ignore the fact that she's not listened to, 
it's yeah, it's like maybe there's something wrong with the film here as well. Also, I don't remember like the screenwriters or the. I mean, again, uh, Jenny Beckman, you bitch, like a uh, Jenny Beckman bitch. Like the screenwriter and the director never came out that I remember being like. It's so weird that everybody misinterprets our movie. And mm-hmm. again, like the screenwriter did a lot of interviews because this movie was so successful and talked a lot about the fact that he was like hating on his ex pretty much. And that was it. Yeah. And he, like. And no one felt the need to. I just remember a lot of the the clips I watched for this as well. But I also remember that like so many people that interviewed the screenwriter about this too were sort of just grinning along when he was talking about the fact that like he had such a negative um, view of his like ex and the relationship that they had. Like no one ever pushed back and was like, "So you never listened to her?" <laughs> she was sort of a figment of your imagination to a degree. That you just yeah. didn't fulfill your fantasy. Yeah. I don't remember anybody ever asking that. Yeah, in a way, it makes it like comes off a lot worse on him than it does on her. Like, if you, at least from our perspective, it's like, yeah, yeah. what does this film say about you, the like writer slash director? I also wonder about that in terms of like the acting because if you read the script, and again in the script she's described as um, having blonde short hair, but like carrying it off like in a really feminine way or something. And the way that he is described, Tom as a character is not at all specified in terms of his looks whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think it's interesting because the actress that took this job, they didn't know, like, if you don't have any control over how this movie is cut, the score, like what still gets to, gets, uh, gets changed in the script, like what's still, the, uh, like what else they're going to sort of add on to this. And I do wonder, like, when you sort of make a decision to, like, play this character, like, how much did Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, understand this at the time they were filming it? Do you know what I mean? Mm Because the thing that, again, makes no sense to me is the wink at the end. Like, what are you winking to here? That, like, Mm. the next girl, yeah. Like, what what is the wink? Like... Yeah, I think it's just a really particular type of masculinity. Like, in Latin America, we have this um, idiom that we say, like, one hook takes out the other hook. Like, if you want to get over someone, you just got to use someone else just to get the hook out, sort of. Just so she is traditional. Find a replacement as soon as possible, yeah. So I guess it's just that. Um, Loretta, since you're our guest, would you like to start with a recommendation for our, guests, uh, for our uh, listeners? Oh yeah, I recently finished an amazing novel by Vendela Vida. It's called Rerun the Tides. It's a nice um, San Francisco novel set in the 1980s. And it's about um, a staged kidnapping in near the San Francisco coastline. And I thought it was so beautiful because obviously it's a, a vision of San Francisco that no longer exists in that way. So I found it extremely nostalgic, but also so beautiful to read just to get the feeling of the sea, the breeze, and just the imagery of these children running around and exactly knowing how to literally run or dominate the tides. Yeah, it was really, really pleasant. Nice. I would like to recommend a rom-com that I really love, and every time I rewatch it, I like it a little bit more, which is a movie called Obvious Child. And it's about this young stand-up going to a bar. Her boyfriend has just broken up with her and she gets wasted and then ends up sleeping with this guy. And it's sort of like about them falling in love in the process of her also trying to tell him that she's going to get an abortion. And it sounds really heavy. It's a really light film. I really love this movie. It's super nice. Uh, came from a short film that I also really enjoyed. 
it sort of delivers for me in terms of like making me feel really positive about love in a way and about dating. <laughs> um, but I really highly recommend Jillian uh, Robespierre's Obvious Child. And Lily, what do you have for our... Ah, for you, um, I have... So actually, this one is related to the film. Because um, in the in the opening um, the opening song of the film, when it's like the kind of opening credits, is the, fil- is the song Us by oh. Regina Spector, which I realised when I was, was watching yeah. the film, I was like, oh, I've listened to this song before. Where do I know it from? And I'd like listened to the album like two years ago and sort of not been very into it. And then kind of watching, coming back and rewatching this film, I was like, oh, this is great. And I went back and re-listened to the album and I had a really good time, which is Soviet Kitsch by Regina Spector. And I just enjoyed it. I think it's probably quite a well-known album. I don't know. But I um, really enjoyed re-listening to that. So that's my recommendation for this week as well. (laughs) You can find our podcast at Liliana Pod on Instagram and Twitter, which is L-I-L-I and then A-N-N-A Pod. We also have um, an email address. We are Liliana's pre-read media tech at hotmail.com. Uh, again, L-I-L-I-A-N-N-A and then the rest of it. Um, but yeah, we're, um, is, that, is that everything you said? Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. Definitely come interact with us on Instagram. And TikTok. Yeah, but you can write to us if you if there's any movie that you would love to discuss with us. Maybe also like tell us how you sort of, maybe your perspective has changed on this movie since you watched mm-hmm. it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I always remember Lucy going, are you ready for some comedy? <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Have you seen the Spanish rom-com about a couple that run a bakery? No. No. It's called a Chew Romance. Aww. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.